In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. Good morning, Paul Brown. Oh, he's probably still cooking and sleeping. So Jack and I are here to just record a podcast. You know Paul's intro. We're not as good as him, but we're better than him in other things. Jack, what's going on, buddy? Hey, I'm good. It's, uh, it's an interesting one in the UK. We've got the lockdown announcement in about an hour and a half. Uh, well, just timestamp this podcast. But um, no, we'll find out uh, what sort of the route is and what happens. So uh, no, it's been a quiet week for us guys. Um, we've just had a lot going on. Um, so we thought we'd come and chat roster, schedule, um, have some little predictions in there. But uh, it's going to be good fun. How are you doing, Ian? Good. Uh, Chicago's stay-at-home order got extended. Ohio's starting to open back up, but we're going to stay uh, sheltered in place through the end of May. So, you know, they're just doing the stuff they got to do to prevent, you know, us from not having a football season. So, selfishly, I have no problem staying at home, getting all of the chores done, and uh, that means that I'll have a free summer to, uh, to flock about. So, the NFL schedule came out, and the number one thing you need to do when the NFL schedule comes out is check the bye week in your dynasty leagues. The most important thing. That's it. You know, for all you fantasy football people out there, it's like, all right, where's everything going to stack up? First thing I do is I look for the primetime games. All right, boom, we got two of them. No Sunday nighters unless we get flexed. So that was unique. Um, the only one I think that could be flexed, though, is the week 17 against the Steelers. So we'll see. But outside of that, we got a Monday nighter in there, a Thursday nighter in there. Uh, four o'clock in there randomly and a lot of one o'clock games. So makes it easy for the British folk who uh, will be watching dinnertime Browns as opposed to 2 a.m. Browns games. We love it. We love it. Yeah, I'd rather you watching at six o'clock than uh, still watching at 4 a.m. in the morning. So uh, I can't complain. Absolutely. But, you know, realistically, and I'm not going to get into the whole, you know, schedule game, which is great for the radio guys. I find it absolutely entertaining to listen to. You know, but from our standpoint, I like to just kind of break it up and say, all right, we got these blocks of four. And it actually works out pretty good because we have block of four, block of four, halftime, block of four, block of four. Five weeks sitting there right at the week nine, or at the week nine, exactly the center point of the season. So, you know, we do know and touch a little bit on the commissioner and Peter King's thing. The first four games has what part? Yeah, so Peter King trailed it in his article and then uh, Goodell actually echoed it in his uh, statement when the uh, schedule came out. Basically just said they're more or less looking at it in weeks of four or they might move a block. So the first four weeks of the season could easily become the last four weeks of the season and then they move the Super Bowl back a month. So I'd be really careful, guys, on just booking anything yet because A, we don't know if they're going to allow fans in the stadium and B, we just don't know when the game's going to be. So for me... The one I had penciled in the diary over a year ago was the Dallas Cowboys. I was going to do that. And uh, I would have booked it as soon as the fixtures came out. It wasn't the dream of uh, Thanksgiving. But it was like, boom, it's going to get booked in. But I'm just holding off now because, hey, there's a lot of can go on between now and then. We could have a second peak of the pandemic. But we're not a pandemic podcast, so we're not going to get too much drawn into it. But uh, is there any games in there 
before we go on to sort of a bit of prediction time on what caught your eye and ones you want to do? Yeah, there's, there's a little block in there because obviously I had to, one of the first things I did is look at who the Browns are playing on November 15th because that is the day after my wedding. So I was trying to figure out like, all right, how's this going to work? Hopefully it wasn't a big one. Uh, for those at home listening, my fiance is a Steelers fan. So I was wondering about that, but we ended up playing the Texans, which is good. But um, yeah, there's a block there. I'm going to try to get to the Redskins game. Her brother is a big Redskins fan. Uh, so Tavis and I will go to that one. Um, I'm going to go down to Dallas. So what I say, Jack, is schedule your flight. Just have it come through Chicago. So when Duffin does Dallas, you come through Chicago. You and Paul can pick me up at the airport. I'll hop on that flight, and then we'll go down to Dallas as you know, an entire team. So, but yeah, I'm looking forward to going to that one. But i got to have to get back quickly because i got things to do, obviously, during the week. But the Colts is another one that I think I might go to. Uh, one of our good friends here in Chicago is a Colts fan, so wouldn't wouldn't be a bad thing to head out back to Cleveland and uh, check out the Colts game. Only thing about that one is it's a four twenty five kick, so I'd be getting back into Chicago pretty late at night. Well, we're definitely doing Chicago next year, so uh, even if we don't grab you on the way through this year, we are looking forward to that. We're already penciling in the twenty twenty one schedule, so it's exciting times. But hey, let's do a little bit of a prediction, and uh, I think you've got a good idea with this one. Yeah, and, you know, if you want to come, the Chicago Bears and Green Bay Packers are back-to-back away for the preseason schedule, baby. So come on over. We can do Bears-Browns preseason, then head up to Lambeau for a pre... Who doesn't like preseason football, baby? Depending on the time, I might be in bed. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so, yeah, first block. We're coming out of the gate. I'll tell you, the schedule makers did us no favor, starting with the Ravens on the road. But we've got the Ravens on the road, the Bengals at home for a Thursday night for the uh, home opener. And then we got two NFC East games in the Redskins and at the Cowboys. You're playing two of the worst teams in last year's league, the number one and the number two pick. Now, have those two teams gotten better? Yes. But realistically, if you're not coming out of there at least two and two, you're off to a bad start. Yeah, I'd say two and two is a fair prediction in that time. And it could always be the case that the bizarre happens and you beat the Ravens and you beat the Cowboys and then lose the other two. So it's better doing it in this block of four because bizarre results happen, and they happen all the time. Miami beat Patriots when the Patriots really needed to win and Gronk got caught. It's uh, These weird and wonderful things happen. So I think two and two, first four games, that's, that's a good place to be in a good benchmark set. Yeah, and that and that's thing. In the NFL, you win games you're supposed to lose, you lose games you're supposed to win. I would put – I'd put almost probably – a mortgage payment on the Browns beating the Bengals at home on a Thursday night. That to me, Joe Burrow, first time the lights come on in Cleveland, the fans better show up and show out in that game. But that's one I would almost expect them to win easily. But you never know. The Redskins, Cowboys, I don't care. Win one, lose one. You should beat the Redskins, but if you beat the Cowboys, come out of there two and two. Because the next block to me, you know, weeks five through eight, are these are kind of your hit and miss games because you have the Colts at home. You've got the Steelers on the road. You've got the Bengals on the road again. So you're getting both Bengals games. Joe Burrow's going to see you twice in the first seven weeks. And then you've got the, Raven, the Raiders at home. So you've got two road, two home, winnable games. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at this and saying you've got to come out of there at least three and one. Yeah, it's one of them where you could win all four. You, you could, it could go bad and you only win one against the Bengals. So there's a lot of unknowns there. Because Steelers, is Big Ben going to look like a tramp and uh, play like one? Or is he going to turn it around? 
Vegas, eh, I'm, not, I'm unconvinced, but they were able to grind out results. And then, yeah, it's the Bengals will, should lose and we should win that. And the Colts does Rivers perform. And I think that is a really good team. So I think two and two is the minimum, but I would like three and one if possible. Yeah, if you're going into the bye week at a minimum four and four, best case or, you know, ideal scenario, five and three or better, that's pretty good. The only thing I see about the Raiders is they got to come across the country for a one o'clock kick. That's going to, that's usually tough. And the odds are in your favor as the East Coast team. So, like I said, you're coming into that bye week. You better be at 500 or better, or else, like I said, you're going to get some serious chatter. Uh, week nine, we obviously have the bye week. So this is where the schedule gets a little bit dicey. And this is why I say if you're not at least 500 or better, it can go to hell in a handbasket quick. Because you go, you got the Texans at home in week 10. Then you got the Eagles at home in week 11. So back-to-back home games, but two good teams. But then you got to go to Jacksonville, where we don't play very well in Jacksonville. And you got to go to Tennessee, which may be the sleeper game I try to get to Nashville. But, yeah, you're home against Houston, home against Philly, and then away at Jacksonville and Tennessee. That's tough. I think you've – I'm going to go and say you've got a lock against the Jags. However much I love Gardner Minshew, um, they're setting up to tank. They signed Mike Glennon as a backup quarterback, so they don't really have much ambition there. Um, Tennessee Titans, he, he's not repeating this year. So I, I'm not that worried about the Tennessee Titans. But I'm saying you, you should get two wins out of that. Um, the Texans, they've still got Watson. They've still got some weapons. I think they'll be solid. But yeah, I, I could see a worst-case scenario of one win. But I think you should be looking at two and two again. Um, I think three and one is certainly possible because we don't know how much Texans will fall apart. But I think even though Bill, uh, Bill O'Brien is running that team like the worst team in the NFL – the talent is still there at the moment. Yeah, they still have Deshaun Watson. The only benefit is you're coming out of the bye week. And if you remember, right, the Browns played pretty well coming out of the bye week last year. Um, so there is a little bit of saving grace there. I'd have to look to see who the Texans have the week before. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you're still – you got Deshaun Watson, Carson Wentz, and, you know, Ryan Tannehill, statistically three of the top 15 quarterbacks. So that's kind of what I'm looking at once. You know, who are the quarterbacks that I'm facing? Will Tannehill go back to his Miami days and shit the bed? Who knows? Will Deshaun Watson, by that point, demand to be traded because he can't stand Bill O'Brien? It's all possible. So, yeah, I would say if we come out of that stretch two and two, I'll be relieved. Three and three or three and one, I'll be thrilled. But if we're one and three, I wouldn't be too shocked just because you're playing a couple good quarterbacks in there. Yeah, so they had the bye week in week eight and they have the Jaguars away. Uh, week nine so that'll be nice have a layup. yeah they'll have a layup there but now when you're going into the final block of the schedule you better be in the hunt and you know it gets a little dicey because the schedule eh, it gets weird but you got the monday nighter against the ravens so you go to tennessee you got a one o'clock on sunday and you have a full seven full days to kind of get back and get ready for the ravens at home on the monday night football game then the schedule makers are like, you know what, guys? We're going to let you spend Christmas in New York back-to-back on the 20th and the 26th, 27th, depending on what they want to do. Giants, Jets. Then you end at home against the Steelers. And I believe it's the first time we've finished at home since, I think, 2015, which I believe was also against the Steelers, and we got absolutely lambasted. I believe I was there. So you've got two dud teams in the Giants and the Jets. Both of them, to me, stink. The problem is it's in New York around Christmas. 
and then you've got it sandwiched in between the Steelers and the Ravens. Yeah, I think it's one of them where you, you take the two New York teams, they're both topics. Um, I think between the two Pittsburgh games, it's probably a 1-1 tie. Ravens probably get the better of us. So, obviously, just looking at these two, I'm saying 2-2 two two or 3-1. Uh, to one, But you're saying one of the two Pittsburgh games comes your way. So, if I'm looking at it purely in a, let's just look at the middle line, if you're betting. You're saying we're 9-17. Um, but then there's, there's lots of room for upside. Um, there's lots of those games that we might get one over the Ravens, but hey, we, we might lose one to the Tennessee Titans. So I, I think it's not what fans want to hear of, hey, I think we're a 9-17, but a 9-17 only needs a couple of lucky breaks and suddenly you win two, three more games and you're in laughing. So to put yourself in 9-7, I'm happy with that. Yeah, look no further than Tennessee Titans last year. But the question becomes, do we get 2018 Baker or 2019 Baker? If Baker plays like he did in 2018, your really quick 8-8, eight 9-7 and, eight, and seven becomes 10-6, and 11-5. Because then all of a sudden, you're beating the Jags, you're beating the Texans. You know, last year we got absolutely crushed by the entire NFC West division. So if we can come out of the NFC East, say 3-1, and one, you know, where you beat the Redskins, the Eagles, or lose the Eagles or the Cowboys, either way – you know, you, if you at minimum go three and three in your division, and that gives you the option to either split with every single team, or if you sweep the Bengals, maybe you get swept by the Ravens, which I'm not saying I want to happen, obviously, but at your bare minimum needs to be three and three against the division. So if you split there, then you have to feast on teams like the Jets, the Giants, the Titans, the, you know, the AFC South division. There's eight games right there. You need to be above 500. Because if you're 500 in the division, you've got to be above 500 out of the division to go to the playoffs. So if you all of a sudden can take those six games and go six and four out of the division, boom, nine and seven. And with the AFC South, the NFC East, and then your match games against the Raiders and the, uh, the Colts, or I'm sorry, the Raiders and the, would be the, the Jets, the Jets. So there's your opposite uh, division games. So realistically, like I said, you go seven and five, six and four in the non-division games, you go three and three in division and boom, you're right there in the hunt on week 17. Ideally, what you'd love is maybe you're a game up on Pittsburgh going into the last game of the season. That game means something. You come back home, the crowd's fired up and Baker just goes in Fueno or in Fuego, drops four touchdown passes, knocks the Steelers out and sends you into the playoffs. No, I, th I think we're in a really good position. Uh, the schedule's quite nice. And there's not too many teams that you sat there and going, ooh, I'm not sure about that. Um, but yeah, there's lots of unknowns. Who knows what um, Ben Roethlisberger is going to be? Who knows what the Texans are going to be up to? Who knows what Ryan Tannehill uh, will turn up? Um, but then there's lots of games you do feel really good about. Um, so no, I, I think there's a lot of upside there. I'm, I'm really excited. I think we'll do really well. And it's broken down quite nice. There's not sort of that run of uh, hard games to end the season. If we're in the hunt, finishing off with, two New York teams, and then the Pittsburgh Steelers is a great shot. And there's that extra team going to the playoffs this year. So uh, lots and lots to like. Yeah, the one thing that I will say that I think is the first time that I've noticed a pivot is, you know, in the past when the schedule came out, Browns fans were looking for the easy Ws and trying to figure out a way to get to 500. I've actually reached a point now where I'm looking for the good games, and I want to see how we stack up against those teams. You know, I'm not looking for bottom feeders. I'm looking to say, all right, this is the week we can bark our, you know, put our print on the NFL. So if we come out and beat the Cowboys and the Colts in back-to-back -back weeks, those are two good teams. Like, you're going to show the NFL, hey, I've arrived. 
So, you know, we're no longer looking for the cherry picked competition and just trying to beat up on the Bengals. You know, I want to start putting it to the big teams in the league because to say you've arrived, you, you know, to be the best, you got to beat the best. So bring on the best. And last year, that schedule was brutal. I like the fact that they're not on Sunday night football. There's no one, two, three, look at me. You've got disrespected again. I mean, I don't know if you saw, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Tyler Boyd from the Bengals. He had Baker a little fired up. Uh, Bleach Report put out a thing that said, which combination's better, Baker and Odell or uh, Burrow and A.J. Green? And Tyler Boyd, obviously received with the Bengals, says, not even close. Talking about Green and Burrow. So Baker liked it. He said, I like that. I hope that ends up in the, uh, in the locker room in a, few, uh, in a few months. So, But, yeah, let's make the playoffs. Let's do what Tennessee did and just kind of get in there and start making some noise. But the ultimate question is, is we have a roster of players now that we're developing. And there's been some well-written English uh, literature on the internet lately from a Mr. Jack Duffin regarding the roster breakdown. So, Jack, you want a little uh, expound on your piece a little bit as we get into the kind of the roster breakdown? Cheers, buddy. So it, it was something that I threw out there. And I was sitting there wondering the other day because you see everyone's sort of 53 protections and stuff that is really too early to know because – some of these guys haven't even put on pads once and suddenly we're claiming they're a lock for the roster. It was strip it back and say, how many of the 53 on the roster are actually locks at this point? And that was a question I wanted to ask. So I thought, let's dig into it. So firstly, how many roster spots are there? Because I've seen people tweeting there's 55 roster spots this year. Paul. It's not true. Guys, it's not true. Don't believe them. And they might be credible people writing it. They're making it up because they haven't read the CBA. So... Yeah. Guys, here's how the rules stuck out this year. So the practice squad, it was at 10 per team. It's now 12. And then in 2022, it's increasing to 14. So there'll be more practice squad players. Um, you've obviously got some teams that will have the extra one. We had Tiggy Sanko and DB a couple of years ago. Yeah, um, international as, exception. Yeah. But um, you're generally looking at 12 players now for practice squad. And then if we look at the game day roster, it was 46. You had to list your inactives, which was seven players. It's now... 48 so you get two extra players on the game day roster which is great um eight of those 48 players must be offensive linemen so that's one change they're putting a rule saying you've got to have at least eight of those players as offensive linemen doesn't matter where they are on the o-line they've just got to be there and then teams rosters they're still at 53 but for every week two practice squad players can get elevated to that roster so they're not permanent locks of the roster they're just moved up and then they move back after the game, as literally as soon as the game ends. But it's one where when you elevate a player for a third time, they don't just go back to your roster. They have to clear waivers to come back to you. So that means if you're doing well, a team that's doing really bad in the league, they don't even have to move into their active roster. They can stash them on their practice squad instead. So pretty much with those two positions, lots of hype around what people will do. They're going to be practice squad contributors at best if not injury depth cover, because someone's not 100%. And if you remember right, the former rule was you only way you could sign a player off another team's practice squad is you had to put them on your 53-man roster and make them active, I believe. I uh, believe it was... They had to be on the roster for two weeks. Yeah, two weeks. Well, at least paid for two weeks. Correct. And now, if I'm not mistaken, also I read... Teams have the option to move those two guys to kind of the, we'll call it not active status, but like elevated status. That's not required, correct? Teams can just go with the 53 and leave the 12 and let, you know, they, it's not required each game to move the two guys, if I'm not mistaken, correct? 
yeah, as far as I'm aware, there's no requirement to elevate them. Um, I guess most teams will, but we're going to see, and it's going to be really interesting what they do. Um, Patriots is the one I'll be most keenly keeping an eye on because hey, he's going to work something interesting, and he he's might do his one. dog. Nike's going to be on the practice squad. He's going to elevate him around. Who wants his dog? I'll buy that jersey. <laughs> but hey, who knows? Maybe the Browns will go with that double fullback week. You know, maybe one week we'll go to the old wing tee. We'll bring in Johnny Stanton and Andy Janovich and just say, hey, baby, let's roll. Yeah, it's, it's something, uh, there'll be some interesting stuff and they might scheme it up, especially for different teams. But yeah, don't expect anything with those two extra practice squad players because A, they're not like to hang around because they'll move on. B, you've already got 48 players. It's uh, 46 active players. Add two more because they might get elevated, but they might not even make the active roster. So it's one that don't expect anything from them because if they were good enough that they want them on the roster every week, they're on the roster. You've got 53 spots. That's actually plenty. Yeah, I think people just put, put the two extra active players for game day onto the end of the roster, which wasn't the case. But I will say, I do like the fact that they're adding two more practice squad spots. I did find it kind of odd. You have 10 practice squad with a possible of 11th, but yet you really couldn't have much depth at certain positions because you didn't have enough. It's not like these NFL teams are striving for, you know, $17,000 a week. Like having 12 and 14 guys in the practice squad is not a terrible thing considering you don't have a professional development league that's been able to last more than eight games. So I thought that was pretty good. And then, you know, ultimately I'd be curious to see, you know, if teams start utilizing that, th that third quarterback a little bit more now that you have that extra spot, but also maybe in the Jalen Hurts type of thing where I have three quarterbacks, but wait a minute, one of them is kind of that Taysom Hill, gimmicky, plays receiver, plays, you know, quarterback, running back type of thing. It'll be interesting to see how people do that. Yeah, no, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what teams do. There's loads of different options out there now. And just those two active players allows us some more flexibility. You might get some more role players, whereas you didn't need to get people on the back of the roster and be in depth where it was more interesting what they actually do on special teams. So there might actually be a steer away from special teams as much because – those two extra roster spots can be special teams and then your depth guys can actually be more focused on that role that you want them to go and play. So it's going to be interesting. But what we're going to do is we're going to have a look through each position room and we're going to have a special focus with this. So the first thing I'm going to point out is anyone that's a lock by their contract. So no one is ever 100% lock because I would have told you Zeitler was more or less a guarantee to make the roster and he got traded and left us for a load of dead cap and a talented player went. But let's just work on the basis that someone's contract is going to cost more to move them on than to keep them. So using the numbers from over the cap. Um, if you want sort of the guide for this as we're going through it, if you jump onto the dogland.com, uh, you can see it. So we're going to look, is anyone a contract lock? And if they're not a contract lock, and Odell Beckham's a perfect example of this, there's no dead cap if we wanted to move away. But... Is he a skill lock? Because he is obviously a talented player and you're going to keep him based on his skill because he's up there with the top, not just on the Browns roster in terms of the total league. So we're going to look at those two. And then who's left? Are there guys that we, we like? And we're not going to guarantee any of those sort of guys in a battle are going to make it. But hey, we'll give our opinion. So we'll fly through. And I've done the average per position over the last four years. I looked at the week one roster of every single team. And how many, if we look at the overall league, are likely to make the roster? So we'll start with quarterbacks. Two and a half quarterbacks is expected to make the roster on average. So we're saying half the teams left two, half left three. 
two of our guys, they're 100% locked by contract. Case Keenum is 100% there. Baker Mayfield is 100% there. When we look at the rest of the guys, what's your feeling, Ian? So, obviously, we know that Garrett Gilbert and Baker Mayfield are friends. Um, I don't think that helped him last year, given the Ryan Lindley situation. But I, if I'm not mistaken, you know, when we brought in Kevin Davidson, the kid out of Princeton, and, you know, he's a young arm. You know, you, the problem is, is you're not going to get to see any of these young guys, you know, for at least a couple more months. So it's kind of hard to say, you know, what does he look like when Kevin Davidson is throwing to DJ Montgomery or Jamon Moore or somebody like that? Like, I, you know, I had to watch him throw to Princeton guys. So I would say that the Browns are likely going to keep three quarterbacks. I, I if I'd have to go back and look at Minnesota. We really, I just, I don't see the, the, the disadvantage now you have good you know relationship between Baker and Garrett Gilbert case Keenum is an absolute lock one of the top backup quarterbacks in the league I see him keeping three guys here I I, I just do if I don't even see him keeping Davidson on a practice squad he's going to come in throw hopefully get uh, exposure like David Blau did and maybe they end up trading him for a conditional seventh round pick only geniuses do that <laughs> it, it was definitely a trade that made me laugh um it's worth so little but uh yeah why not every little advantage is worth taking but if we look so guys, i think they will keep three and i think a decision like that's probably got more to do with the gm than the head coach and on keeping three and if you look at where did berry go cut his teeth it was the eagles and they are massive proponents of the three quarterback strategy you have your starter, you have your experience backup, and then you have a young guy who you think can develop. And you've got two of them locked in. And who is that third guy? It might be Kevin Davidson. It might be someone who gets cut from another team. So they might be keeping an eye out there and someone got picked up or a UDFA got grabbed by another team. And, and they've got their eye on a few different ones and they'll see how they're doing preseason and they might go, actually, that's the guy we want. They might do the reverse of a seventh round conditional trade for 2028. Um, or there's two guys out there that I'll throw their name out one more than the other Trevor Simeon played with um, the Jets yeah Miles Garrett broke his leg well played with Stefanski was at the Vikings at the same time obviously Stefanski wasn't the uh, head coach then but was there um, and Cody Kessler I'd never rule it out as just a uh, purely third QB a bit of depth <laughs> yeah I went there um, but no I, I think they will keep three I don't think it's going to be either for them too, though. Here's my thing. I And this is kind of an odd thing to say. I just foresee Garrett Gilbert. Listen, Baker's going to want to keep the guy getting paid. Case Keenum's 32 years old. Garrett Gilbert's 29. Let's just groom Gilbert to be a nice backup quarterback. So, like, if I'm Garrett Gilbert, I'm latching on to Case Keenum, and I am learning everything and anything I can about being a backup quarterback. Because as we've seen with Cole McCoy, you can be very, very rich being a backup quarterback at the NFL. Yeah, so – Let's jump on to the, uh, the running back and fullback. We'll just combine them. Um, I did with my numbers. So locked by contract, there's one. It's Nick Chubb. Um, we've then got two locks by talent. We've got Kareem Hunt and Andy Yanovich. So we're looking at a total of 4.3 in the room. I think we're going to look at four, but uh, never rule it out. Some crazy stuff does happen. The other names that I've got there is Herrian, Hillard. Brian Herrian, yep. Jonas Johnson, Benny LeMay, and Johnny Stanton. Um, where do you see, sort of, do you see it being four in total? So one more name in there? So 
the running back room is interesting because we know that Prefer uses some of these guys. Dearness Johnson and Dontrell Hilliard were both on special teams. But to be fair, I've seen about enough of Dontrell Hilliard. Um, I could see them moving on from him. I think he's probably 25 now. So you've got a guy like Benny LeMay. You've got Brian Herrion, who's been a lifetime backup. I think they're going to challenge for that third running back spot, probably with Dearness Johnson, who I know uh, Prefer used a lot last year on the return game. But now having JoJo Nadson and Donovan Peoples-Jones maybe battling that out, I don't know. Maybe you just say neither of those guys are going to be here. I think Janovich, Hunt, and Chubb are definite locks. If there is a special team's ability to one of these guys like Harrion or Johnson, they could go to five. They could. If I'm picking that fourth guy, as much as I love Johnny Stanton, the all-around American athlete, Mr. All-American, quarterback, wide receiver, fullback, I want to see him play just because I think he's an, inter- an interesting guy. I don't know if maybe you could figure out a way to get him on the special on the uh, practice squad with that extra, you know, two spots. But I would say you're probably going to keep four, four total. I would say at most five with being maybe Dearness Johnson and then one of the rookies. That's what I would say. Four running backs, one fullback. Yeah, I, I think you're looking at one of them, uh, two youngsters um, coming in. Um, and making the roster, hopefully. Um, Johnny Stanton, I, I think, is, I feel pretty good about they want him on the practice squad um, because why not? At the end of the day, if, if you've only got one fullback on the roster, that's the sort of position where you want someone knowing the scheme. It's not like a kicker or a, uh, uh, another role where you can just pull that person out of the crowd and go, right, you're out there. Go, our kicker went down. We need another one. Um, you want your fullback to be a bit more aware of what's going on. So um, I think Johnny Stanton's practice was a great shout. Um, but yeah, Benny LeMay is probably the favorite. He got a little bit of guaranteed money compared to Herion. But um, yeah, it, it's nothing in the grand scheme of it. So battle to the death. Let's see what happens. Yeah, and Herion was uh, Chubb's backup in Georgia. So they're going to be familiar with each other. But it'll be interesting to see. I think that's that, that battle for that last running back spot, like we had last year with Dearness Johnson getting it, um, you're going to see it this year. So at most, I see five guys coming out of there just because of the special teams value as well. Yep. Uh, so wide receiver, there's an average of 5.7 um, across the league. Um, a locks by contract, I didn't know the Higgins deal, and I, I still haven't seen the final numbers for what's actually guaranteed in his number. Um, is it fully guaranteed? Is it not? Um, can they walk around away with zero cost? So we'll put him next to an asterisk because we just don't know yet. Landry's a lock by uh, contract. And Odell Beckham, um, even though you need to pay to cut him, trade him with zero dead cap. So he's a lock by talent. So that's three names in there. Um, what do you reckon happens to the rest of the room? Is it five or is it nearer the league average of six? This is where I think if you do go with six, you're going to take one away from the running back room. Because if you keep a guy – so, for example, they obviously bring in Nadson. So you look at this and you say, okay, I've got Beckham and Landry. I've got Higgins now. You wouldn't assign him if you were going to try to at least keep him. Unless he absolutely goes out there and shits the bed in training camp. Browns Terror will go nuts. But at the end of the day, I would say of those three, if you keep Damian Ratley, Kaderil Hodge, and JoJo Natson, you're at six. Where's Donovan Peoples-Jones? Where's DJ Montgomery? You know, they've got a lot of question mark talent. And this is the part that I, get, I think is going to be the most interesting. I'd sit Beckham and Landry. I, I don't need them to practice in the offseason. Fix your core muscles, your hernias, your groins, your abs, whatever it is. I, you could bring masseuses out and make sure they are nice and loosened up on the sidelines. I don't need to see them in June and July. 
I want to see these guys. I want to see Donovan Peoples-Jones. I want to see DJ Montgomery. I want to see all these other guys fight it out. Because now that you draft Donovan Peoples-Jones, Nats only got a million bucks. You can, you can cut him. Ty, uh, Taiwan Taylor was a traded draft pick by Dorsey. He's fast, but can he catch? Damian Ratley, he's fast. But does he do special teams? I could almost see them maybe making a deal and trading one of these guys because you have kind of five guys that are just nestled together all right there. Like, can you really keep Ratley and Kadero Hodge? They're both developing receivers, and they both contribute on special teams. Well, Prefer, you can't have them both. You got to pick one. So I see that as being them probably leaning towards six. But again, if they're not impressed with, say, like a Brian Heron or one of these guys on special teams, they could end up picking up the sixth guy from here um, and just going that route because you only got 53 guys. So if you put six receivers, you're already at 14 now on just three positions. Yeah, for me, it's, it's five here because that extra person becomes the fourth tight end. Um, and that's where that position goes. But when you're looking at the names, there's no money on any of them in terms of guarantees, because that's all we care about when you're looking at cutting a player. Bradley's got 100,000. Um, who's the other guy with 100,000? Ratley's with 100,000. Everyone else, including Donovan Peoples-Jones, everyone's like, oh, he's got to be a lock for the roster. They've got nothing. Um, it's less than 100,000 rounded. So we're saying less than $50,000. Uh, teams aren't going to care. Um, it's literally water off a duck's back. They're taking the best available guy. I think Jojo Natson, Donovan Peoples-Jones are in a straight-up fight. Yes, Natson might be slightly ahead of him with his return game, but they're going to look at a lot more to do with upside and options there. And Donovan Peoples-Jones definitely does lead that race. So for me, that's the battle almost for wide receiver five. We're just going to ask you to be in the return game this year, but let's see what else you can do. And then there's this all-out battle for wide receiver four. And it, I wouldn't rule out them going and getting someone else that is potentially available and out there. But you're, you've got so many names. You've got Bradley, you've got Brown, you've got Hodge, you've got Moore, you've got Montgomery, you've got Ratley. <laughs> I, 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 you've I'm got a cluster of people. Tyron Taylor. <laughs> uh, literally all of them guys are fighting for one spot, and that is wide receiver four. Obviously, hey, two of those guys could really impress and then they have to make other decisions on the roster. And that might be what happens. There might be so much talent that they go, actually, we need to keep six. And who knows? But that is going to be a really tough battle. Donovan Peoples-Jones is no lot for the roster. People got really, really excited Listen. with the pick. There is upside, and that's great. But a six-round pick... Yeah, you're a six-round pick. You're, you're a pre-order UDFA. I'll repeat that again. Anyone in rounds six and seven... Sometimes even in round five, you're a pre-order UDFA. Listen, we, when we talked to um, Solo Ajayi, he had told us the Browns started calling him in the fifth round. So, listen, I like Donovan Peoples-Jones. And don't be surprised. A lot of Browns fans will remember this last year. DJ Montgomery bursts onto the scene. Ooh, that hamstring's just a little tight. Ooh, why don't you go ahead and sit this year out? This is where GMs start getting really creative with their quote-unquote injuries. The Drew Forbes is... You know, the uh, DJ Montgomery, where you start getting these guys onto your team with injuries, I could feasibly see if JoJo Natson, who, by the way, is a punt returner. I don't know how much of a kick returner effectiveness he is. He's a lot better on punt. Oh, Donovan Peoples-Jones. Oh, man, I got a hip pointer. Why don't you sit out the first eight weeks? They're going to let these guys. I could totally see this being a position where they kind of just maybe let an injury bug help them keep that seventh guy. Hey, a couple on IR session for the season. I like there you it. go. That's, that's 
that's the common thing that people do. And I'm fine with it. There's a lot of talent in that room, which is great. But ultimately, as you've been saying, I think since day one, when you're paying Landry and you're paying Odell, the highest combination of duo wide receiver money in the league, you can't have a four or $5 million guy underneath him. You have to go, it goes like 14, 14, and then everything else is under a million. So, you know, you've got nine guys under a million bucks. Fight it out. Let's go. Yeah, no. So there's a lot of talent in there. Let, let, let's see what happens. And uh, who, it's going to be upside. They're probably not going to pick that best player on wide receiver four based on who can perform best on week one of the season. It's going to be who's going to perform best on week one of the season next year. So that's going to be the key thing they're looking at. Upside is going to be the big aim for that sort of deep spot. If I'm one of those guys, I better adopt the motto, do your job. If you're asked to do special teams, do your job. If you're asked to block, do your job. The old, I think that you're right. That fourth wide receiver is going to come down. Who is the guy that does his job the best? So we jump over to the tight ends. The average is 3.4, but we're not the average. We're going to play two uh, tight ends a lot of times, so that's going to be four. So lock that in. There's three players. They're all locks based on their contract. And you've got Harrison Bryant, Austin Cooper, and Austin Hooper. Austin Hooper, not Austin Cooper. Um, David Njoku, they're all locked in. Then we've got three other names in there. There's uh, Mr. P. Brown, um, Stephen Carlson, and Nate Wheat. Whiting. Whiting. Um, they're going to keep four. I don't think it's going to be... For me, Carlson's my favorite out of those. I don't think it's actually going to be one of them three. So I will just tell you, I remember Nate Whiting from his days with Iowa. He's a tough SOB. If you want, if you want a little fun, Google him, look him up. He, he's a sleeper. So obviously they're going to keep four tight ends. Hell, one of these guys may even go to the practice squad. So you may look at it as like they keep Carlson as four. And obviously we're going to talk about the guys that are on the roster. Yes. If Kyle Rudolph gets cut in Minnesota. Okay. I get it. But you know, right now, yes, you have Njoku, Hooper and Bryant. Then I'd say, even if you have Carlson who just has a little leg up on professional experience, but you'll definitely have a fifth guy, I think, on the practice squad. I think that you're almost 100% going to have a fifth tight end on that practice squad just because of Stefanski's utilization, Njoku's injury history. Ultimately, is Harrison Bryant ready yet for the league? That's a great question. You know, he's still a little bit more receiver than he is tight end. But, yeah, I would say my sleeper right now, Nate Whiting's on the practice squad. I just like how he moves in space. I like what he can do from the tight end position. But I think Carlson is your guy that's going to be your fourth tight end. Yeah, for me, if, if you look at some names, it's, it's who's going to be that blocking tight end is probably going to be the greatest question. And whoever they feel most comfortable with is going to be there, whether it's um, just some names in free agents to throw them out. David Morgan used to be on the Vikings. Uh, Luke Stocker, Lance Kendricks, Charles Clay. Um, it's, it's not that big, sexy name that they're going to get. Um, obviously, if Rudolph comes on the market, they might do something crazy. But I'm looking more at that. That's going to be your blocking tight end role. And looking overall at sort of what's going to be on the practice field, you've got 12 different spots. So you're probably going to see a quarterback, a running back, a wide receiver, a tight end. Um, maybe one on the O-line, one on the D-line, a linebacker, a cornerback, a safety. Well, that's nine. So there's going to be basically an option for every position stashed on the practice squad. It's just who's the best guy and who's got the most upside. You keep three quarterbacks and eight O-linemen active on game day. I don't know. I think that's a lot for those positions where you may be able to sacrifice some maybe more skill on that practice squad than you would, you know, having to carry a fourth quarterback or something like that. So. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see. I can see your linebackers, your favorites, the running backs. Uh, those guys are really taking up those practice squad spots. 
So we jump and we're just going to do the offense today. We'll be back in a, a couple of days to do the defense. But offensive line, I've grouped them, but we'll think tackles and uh, interior O-line. So you've got nine in total. For me, that means four on the O-line, five on the interior, but we'll touch on that. So the locks by contract, you've got Conklin, you've got Hubbard, you've got Tretter, you've got Wills, and then we've got one lock for me by talent, and that's Joel Batonio. So that leaves a lot of names battling by camp. And, and there's some names people will get really, really excited about, but they're not a lock by contract because, quite frankly, they'd literally cost nothing to walk away from. And also, they're not really a lock by talent because are every team in the league going to be racing around trying to go, this is a guy I really, really want? No. There's lots of promise with them, but some names that are there, Evan Brown, Drake Dorbeck, Drew Forbes, Colby Gossett, Nick Harris, Kendall Lamb, Malcolm Pridgen, Alex Taylor, Wyatt Teller, Willie Wright. And for me, obviously, there's some names that I think should really easily make it. And they're the Nick Harris, Kendall Lamb, Wyatt Teller, Drew Forbes. But hey, if a UDFA or someone else really shines, who knows? So where do you feel about that and sort of the balance of let's do tackles first and then let's jump to the interior after? Yeah, as we're at right now, you know, keeping three quarterbacks, five wide, or five wide receivers and running backs, um, four tight ends, and nine offensive linemen, that would give us a grand total of 26 on offense, which would leave 27 for defense, just to kind of keep people where at. I think your five locks, stone cold lead pipe locks, as Mike Greenberg would say, would obviously be Treader, Batonio, Teller, Conklin and Jedrick Wills. Those five, I think you can write it in stone that those five are going to come. So now you look to say, okay, we need four other guys. I don't think Lamb or Hubbard, I mean, I know they renegotiated his hop contract, but does that make it impossible yeah. that they could get rid of him? Yeah. I, mean, it, I, think, it, I think Forbes is one of these guys. Nick Harris, maybe. So you have Harris, you have um, Forbes, then you maybe have Hubbard and Lamb. It would be kind of the ranking four right now? Yeah, if I'm looking at the four tackles, Hubbard for me is just a lock because the way they renegotiated his contract, it'd be madness to get rid of him now this year. They'd have to pay him 4.4 million just to get rid of him. So he, he, he's staying. But for me, the tackles, obviously you've got Conklin and Wills are your starters. And then for me, it's Hubbard. And I'm going to say Lamb in there. Um, obviously, he's a veteran. Obviously, if they really like someone like Taylor, he could potentially battle Lamb and then they could probably get a trade value on Lamb. So he's the one that I think you could probably pick up a late pick if someone really, really likes him. So you think they'd use four out of the um, nine spots on tackles? Yeah, for me, you've got your five starters locked in and then you've got two tackles and two interior linemen behind that. So for me, yeah, they're, they're your locks at tackle um, and then Taylor potentially battling a, a Lamb just so because... Four tackles, three guards, two centers is kind of your thought? Yeah. In terms of the interior, obviously, if they can both snap the two backups, that's preferred. But, yeah. Yeah. So, in this case, you're talking about Lamb, uh, Dorbeck, and Taylor fighting for one spot on the active – we'll call it active 53. And then you, in essence, have – I think Drew Forbes has a leg up on Colby Gossett, Pridgen, and Willie Wright. Now, the nice part for with Willie Wright is he is a center-guard combo, so he could do both. Um, I can't see them keeping four guards. I mean, if you're Drew Forbes, you have to be able to play both left and right guard, I would think. You know, you just don't have space. And then I think Nick Harris, I don't know if you'd risk having a fifth-round pick go to your practice squad. You know, there are teams that run that zone scheme, and then all of a sudden, say, San Francisco center gets his ankle rolled up, and they're going to poach your guy, who is, quote-unquote, your development 
type of center. So he could be one of those guys that maybe they see what they can do with. He's undersized. He needs to develop. But, and I know they brought in Evan Brown from Miami. You know, he's an experienced guy. It's between those two. I just think that Harris is pretty much at this point preferred walk-on status. Yeah, for me, you're looking at Harris, um, Forbes as you two backups on the interior. Um, I think they they definitely streaks ahead of what else is out there, just based on the fact that Forbes is obviously well liked within the building, um, and Nick Harris. They they invest the fifth round pick, and you're fairly pretty confident that they're going to keep a fifth round pick. But I never say never. It was a fifth round pick, so some people saying, "Hey, there was talk about him in the third round." It doesn't matter. Well, once you're at this stage. If they get to camp and someone was a UDFA and playing better, they'll take the UDFA. So um, don't believe the hype. Obviously, yeah. If the Steelers the- cut third-round picks. Yeah. You can be a third-round pick in Pittsburgh. If you don't play up, you're gone. Yeah. Same with the Ravens. They cut these guys all the time. Dorsey cut He'll- QB, drafted in the third round. Probably deserved it. And then he ended up on the Browns. <laughs> there you go. But it's one of those things where the thing about Harris that's beneficial is he's only going to fit a handful of teams in the NFL. His zone scheme, his undersized, you know, uh, center status. He's not going to the Redskins or the Cowboys or any of these teams. You got those teams like San Francisco, like Minnesota that are running this zone scheme. Those are really his only target destinations. You know, until he develops more in the league and gets more size, he's not a a target that's going to be poached by all 32 teams. So maybe you try to play that a little bit where you say, listen, I know that these guys are in good positions, but – the nice part is, is you at least have a battle between two guys, between Harris and Brown. They can come in. Trevor's 29. So let's keep, you know, some of the miles off the tires on that one. You know, I don't know if I necessarily need to see J.C. Treader out there in the dog days of summer getting the hell beaten out of him. So, you know, let some of these guys. I think Forbes and Willie Wright is a good battle. I think Brown and Harris is a good battle. And then the question will be whether or not one of the young guys can overtake Kendall Lamb for that swing tackle. Yeah, I know, and it, it's something we're in good position. In the past, we were chatting about a fifth-round pick, and it's like, can they start or be a contributor this year? And now we're talking about, can they make the roster? That's exactly what good teams do. So don't think, oh, they don't like our draft picks, or oh, everything's horrible. It's a great pick. But at the same time, the roster's talented, and just because you're a fifth-round pick doesn't mean you're a lock. So I'm pretty much done on wrapping up for the, uh, the offense. Anything else you want to add? I just love the fact that we're finally to the point where we can actually have starters as locks and we're not battling between these schlubs to get up and be starters. You know, it's to the point where slowly but surely we're getting to where the other good teams are, the Ravens. I mean, look at the Ravens. They sit there on draft day and they just poach talent after talent after talent. And every time they pick, you're like, son of a bitch, that guy's going to be good. I can tell you right now, Jacob Phillips and – um the kid from Ohio State, Malik Harrison, they are going to be compared. I'm, we know what I'm going to do, actually, Jack. I'm going to take the certain picks that were taken right around the Browns pick, kind of like you and your uh, obsession with Harold Landry. And I'm going to partner and say, okay, this is Jacob Phillips' production for this week. This is Malik Harrison's. And I'm going to do a season-by-season PFF breakdown of who the guys that we're most worried about in comparison to who we took. Because, you know, you want to get to a point where you're no, we're having an argument over wide receiver four. Life is good, baby. I mean, we're sitting there going, which one of these under million guys is going to come in and contribute? Not who's going to line up in the X and take 82% of the snaps. Thank Jesus. We got finally some talent on this roster. You know, it'll be nice to have some camp battles where our starters can sit there on tour day Berea, as they call it on the exercise bikes, keep them hammies nice and loose. Let these young guys battle it out. We got guys that can actually play the game of football. It's a beautiful thing. Right. 
Thank you very much, guys, for listening. Um, follow me on Twitter. It's at Jack Duffin. Follow Ian at... At Ian19, but be careful, Jack, because I'm sure a lot of people are going to be unfollowing you after your Nick Chubb comment the other day. Hey, <laughs> running back Stone Mal. Guys, you know that. You're all smart enough. You've listened. Um, he's an awesome dude, but we ain't paying him, and good luck to wherever he gets that massive payday. But make sure you come back. So this is dropping on Sunday. Thank you very much for listening if you listen to Sunday. Our next show is going to drop on Tuesday morning in the UK. So uh, check back out for that. We'll see you guys soon. Go Browns. Go Browns. Go Browns.